All right, Nate, we are back following Ohio State's 45-31 to 31 victory on Thursday night. We're recording this Monday afternoon. Nate, how was your Saturday enjoying, I guess, you know, the Ohio State victory and sort of having a almost what felt like a bye week in a way? Um, the It was about 3 o'clock Eastern time on Saturday, and – um, Penn State, Wisconsin was coming down to the wire. Penn or Wisconsin, excuse me, was in the red zone inside the ten yard line, trying to score. If they scored and got the extra point, they would have taken the lead, seventeen sixteen. Meanwhile, Oklahoma gives up a touchdown to Tulane. Tulane onside kicks and recovers down five with less than two minutes. And Mike, I felt like I had tasted a little bit of heaven. That's yeah. how my that's how my Saturday was going. I, I I was thinking about it this morning. This may be my favorite four day stretch of the entire calendar year, especially when we play on Thursday. I think that makes a load of difference because if we were playing a three thirty game against Tulsa, which is what we're scheduled to do in a couple of weeks, it's like oh, you know, I'm I'm going to miss the ending of all those those great games. It's it's sort of similar if your favorite NFL team plays on a Monday night. You can kind of actually just sit back and enjoy red zone. But, Nate, let's, let's go through this Ohio State victory. I think overall there's definitely a lot to talk about. I think the score is personally pretty deceiving. Um, but, I mean, we could break this down, I guess, chronologically. What did you think in the first quarter, first few drives, from what we were getting from our offense? Well, I tell you what, I mean, first drive for Minnesota, I believe, was a, you know, they, had to, they ended up having to punt. Um, a decent stop and then you know you see the new look offense march onto the field and Mayan Williams takes a, a, a handoff 71 yards down the right side far sideline for six and I thought all right here we go maybe these boys are ready to roll and and I think the though the lasting um, what stuck with me most from those that first quarter was just how many new numbers and and new guys were out there on the field, guys that I, I personally did not expect to see. Uh, Denzel Burke, Ryan Watts, uh, Ronnie Hickman starting over Craig Young, uh, Tommy Eichenberg, um, to name a few. Haskell Garrett didn't start. We didn't see Jack Sawyer. Lots of defensive situations that I was not anticipating. Yeah, that seemed to be true for the defense and the running backs as well. We saw Mayan Williams, uh, Trayvon Henderson, and um, Master Teague all get, you know, probably share the workload, what, like 30, 30, 30, and then you give like 10 to, uh, you know, Crowley too. But I think, and the defense too, but in general, we kept the same. Obviously, CJ Stroud was the only quarterback. We kept the same receivers out there for the most part. I mean, we're definitely rotating the third guy quite a bit. But Rucker, Olave, and Garrett Wilson were out there basically every snap that mattered. And then the offensive line was pretty consistent too. But you're right, it, it sort of had a feel of a spring game on defense early. But I actually think that – and it sounds weird for a game that the final score is 45-31. to 31, But I, especially early, I kind of thought the defense was playing really well. And I think the offense kind of put them in some unfortunate positions, like whether it was stalling and then having to punt or, you know, a bad turnover. And – I feel like the defense was one fourth down stop away from shutting out Minnesota the entire first half. And obviously that didn't happen and ended up being an 80 yard run basically. But overall I was happy with the defense in the first half. 
Yeah, I, I thought that they were okay. Um, I, I felt like as the as the half wore on, truthfully, I, I didn't feel con- that concerned by the defensive back play. Now, I will say I don't think Tanner Morgan and that offense, with especially without uh, Ottman Bell, is anything to be very concerned about. What really did concern me is that it, it like you said, it felt like we were stopping the, the run early and that actually felt like it diminished that fourth down play that you talk about where I believe Mohammed Ibrahim and, and Mohammed Ibrahim, all the best to you, young man. Um, having surgery, I believe on his Achilles today out for the season feel for that guy. Uh, what a game he had, but you know, he took a, a wildcat snap and like you said, marched it whatever, 80 yards down the field on a fourth and two or three, um, and after that, it felt like Ohio State couldn't get back to defend the run. I don't know if it was a linebacker issue, defensive line issue, but when you're leading tacklers, Ronnie Hickman, who is a hybrid safety linebacker, that's not a good thing. But at the same time, I think that they did a good job of keeping everything in front of them. And this was something that when our defense was bad, I guess I'll go back to 2018. That was the year when we were giving up like 50 against Maryland. We were just falling victim to the big plays, you know, and if you, they had that one 56 yard run. And even with that 56 yard run that as a team, they had 50 carries for 203 yards. That's four yards a carry. That is not, there's nothing to write home about, you know, that is a pretty good run defense. And then if you take that 56 yard rush away, I'm going to do some quick math here. Uh, then they averaged basically three yards a carry. So I mean, that's, that's pretty good. And I think, and also that was the only big play that we gave up, you know, the second longest play from scrimmage for Minnesota, other than that 56 yard run was a 22 yard pass play. Other than that, we kept everything in front of us, which is, I think, I think that's a winning recipe when you play teams in the big 10, that might not be a winning recipe when you talk about going to the playoff, but when you're playing these offenses in the big 10 that are not very, uh, they don't have much firepower. You just got to stop the big plays because not often can these Big Ten offenses put together uh, long scoring drives to hurt you. Yeah, you know, that's that's definitely a, a very fair point. Um, I, I would rather us be a defense that bends but doesn't three and out and the next they're going to give up a 65 yard touchdown pass where our, you know, our deep safeties chase all you see is him chasing the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I think the other thing that fans, Mike, to your point have to be reminded of is college football games, uh, Penn state, Wisconsin and Clemson, Georgia, which were both low scoring defensive battles. I don't think that was as much a product of the defense as much as the offense, but this is college football is offensive minded. I I think you could go as far as to say offense wins championships. Now that's what won Alabama, the national championship last year. That's what won LSU, the national championship the year before. Um, And so uh, I think defenses giving up, you know, somewhere in the twenties points per games, probably not terrible. Yeah, I think offense wins championships if you have – and then what do you – well, that's the question. Like, what do you need from a defense? You need a defense that's not going to be continuously gashed because then that sort of puts your offense in a bad position if they have to, you know, just keep running out there. 
um, you know, and basically just chase points from the other team. But also you need some big plays from your defense. And we did get that. We got that fumble return touchdown. Probably Zach Harrison's most notable play as a Buckeye. Haskell Garrett obviously picked it up and had the wherewithal to run. And I, if we can get one of those plays on defense a game and play that bend but don't break defense otherwise, I mean, I'm, I'm totally satisfied because our offense is more than enough power uh, if that's what we're getting from our defense. I really did have the same thought as you. If if this can be a, a defense that bends, doesn't break, is good in the red zone and forces turnovers, that is, I mean, that, that'll take you a long, long way. Um, I, I think what the, we, we forced two turnovers, should have been a third. That uh, If we're being honest, that should have been an interception for Josh Proctor. I don't think that, that was roughing the passer on Dallas Gantt. Um, there, I think that was on that drive where they scored a touchdown, but so I'm with you. If the defense can be that, I think that will, you know, that, that should set us up well to make the playoff. Can we beat an Alabama? That's another question. And there's, there's still a ton of football until we're going to be able to answer that question. Yeah, I think right now this team is probably most similar to the Oklahoma team with Kyler Murray. I think that defense was, like, really bad. I think they probably finished somewhere in the 90s, uh, and I don't think our defense is going to be that bad at all. I think our defense will probably be better than what we saw in 2018, but there's still a lot of time to go. But, Nate, I think we've gone too long without talking about C.J. Stroud. Um, definitely Rocky. I don't think his stat line tells the full story. He ended up with a really impressive nope. stat line, but a lot of that was, you know, yards after the catch, and a lot of it came in the second half. But uh, let's, let's assign a grade to this like we always like to do. What is your grade for C.J. Stroud? Uh, I'm going to give the young man a B plus, and let me, let me just explain why. These are the things that were going against him. The, the team is young, hasn't played in front of fans and you know they they were all saying these stats 500 some odd days um they're on the road for his first career start the nation is watching it's a thursday night basically standalone game um it's raining and wet there it's kind of completely non-ideal uh situation and and he had a rocky first half don't get me wrong but i think that he settled in um what what i look for and look at when i look back at this this game though is ohio state's doing a lot of what alabama did a year ago i don't know if cj stroud's gonna need to be able to to find chris olave and garrett wilson and and others in these deep complicated routes if he can just get them in simple, you know, shallow crossing routes, screen passes and the like, I think we could have a lot of success. That's what Alabama did with Mac Jones and Devontae Smith a year ago. They got him in good situations where he could uh, use his athleticism on the edge to get past people yards after catch. Um, and so all that, all those things combined, I, I give CJ Stroud a B plus. Um, you know, it wasn't perfect, but I, I don't think it was terrible either. It's interesting because I think if I gave my rating right after the game, well, if I gave my rating at halftime, it would have been a D. Uh, if I gave my rating right after <laughs> the game, it probably would have been a C plus. But I think what's strange is you see other quarterbacks that are supposed to be much more seasoned. Like even DJU, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name on Clemson. Sure, he was going up against Georgia, but he played in four games last year. You know, he had some legitimate uh, – he you know he threw the ball like 40 times against Boston College. He didn't look very good. 
JT Daniels in Georgia didn't look very good. Neither of the Penn State or Wisconsin quarterbacks looked very good. So with all of that in and, and the factors that you were talking about, also I feel like we are a little spoiled from Justin Fields. So our perception of what is an A and what is a B is a little thrown off. But I will land on a B. And then, Nate, what I want to do um, as part of grading the positions is give you these hypothetical trades as we go through each position, just because I think it's kind of a fun way to talk about the other teams, too. So I'm going to give you um, a few hypothetical quarterback trades for C.J. Stroud. Just give me a yes, no, and maybe a couple sentences on why you would or would not do the trade. So if you're Ryan Day and Nick Saban calls you up and offers you Bryce Young for C.J. Stroud, are you making that play? No, I'm not. And the reason I'm not is because Quinn Ewers is waiting in the in the wings. And I think Bryce Young being brought in makes things more complicated. Um, I'll just leave it at that. What about Sam Howell, whose stock is probably going down after this Virginia Tech loss on Friday? I... I think I say no to, to Sam Howell as well. I, I know he's seasoned, uh, but I've yet to see him win a big game. And I know North Carolina is not what Ohio State is, but he hasn't beat – he didn't beat Notre Dame a year ago. He didn't beat Clemson. Um, he didn't win his bowl game against Texas A&M. They didn't beat Virginia Tech. I just – I'm not sold on him being the real deal at quarterback against elite opponents. And the last one – Keaton Slovis, the USC quarterback, who I, I'm personally very high on him. I don't think I would do the Bryce Young or Sam Howell trade. I would do the Keaton Slovis trade just because I think he, if you want a quarterback who can just get the ball accurately to your playmakers, I think he's your guy. I, I think I have to say no there. I, I, I'm not sold on Keaton Slovis. I, I'm a Pac-12 hater. Um, so to be fair, I, I, I probably can't comment super accurately, but I'm going to say no. Now, if you were to offer me Henry Tooto from Alabama, the Tennessee transfer for, uh, CJ Stroud, I'd take it in a heartbeat. Kyle McCord could start and we'd be set. <laughs> All right, Nate, how about, let's move on to the running backs. Uh, this was a, we kind of knew we were loaded going into this game at this position. I don't think we realized how loaded we were. Uh, Trayvon Henderson and Mayan Williams both like far exceeded my expectations. I'm giving them a flat A. I mean, if not an A plus, I think they were just absolutely fantastic. Uh, there's not much more to say other than that. And they're also they complement each other so well as well, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with a B for the Ohio State running backs, um, and that's not on the young men as much as it is on the the coaching staff. Um, I, I don't think there's any reason that Master Teague needs to play. I think he's a great young man, um, does a lot of really, really good things in the community, uh, is, you know, like I said, an incredible young man, but he's just not the best option. And I don't think Marcus Crowley is either. And so um, the performance of Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson, A+. Plus. The performance of Master Teague, Marcus Crowley, probably more like a C+. Plus. The coaching staff, probably more like a C+. Plus. So I'm going to settle right there at a B. And then some hypothetical trades for you here. Uh, Kenneth, I don't know if you watched any of this game. I ended up watching more of it than I probably should have. But uh, Michigan State's running back, Kenneth Walker III, went wild. Uh, he had 23 carries for 264 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, would you trade him for Master Teague? 
Yeah, probably would. Just you know, added added depth there. Um, I don't I don't think he'd start. I think he, the the rotation needs to be Henderson and Williams, and then you know whoever else. But I I think I would. Teague's not a captain. I know he's. I think he's well respected in the locker room, but he's not a captain. I think I'd be okay with that one. Yeah, I like that one too because I, what do you need from a third running back? You just need someone that, in case Mayan Williams and or uh, you know Henderson went down, you want someone who could rush the ball twenty times and have a decent outing. I don't know if Master Teague has proven he can do that. Uh, Kenneth Walker obviously did. And, and Northwestern, I mean, they're not a great team by any means, but they usually have a good run defense. And then the other uh, hypothetical trade. A guy that's really been tearing it up for UCLA, former Michigan Wolverine, Zach Charbonnet. Would you trade him for Mayan Williams? No way. Zero percent chance. Give me the pork chop. Uh, Zach Charbonnet has been running really hard out there. Very impressed with him. Um, but I, I think Master Teague is the per, or excuse me, Mayan Williams is the perfect complement, like you said, Travion Henderson. And um, I think that he's got the right chip on his shoulder that he, he feels disrespected, feels like he's not a big name and he's out to prove that wrong. Um, for, for his size, I think he's five, eight, like two thirty. He's got a little wiggle to him. It's fun to watch. Um, but nothing for me topped. Uh, I'm just going to say it again real quick. Travion Henderson, the other night, that 70 yard touchdown catch screen. Oh, Goodness so gracious. I don't know if we've ever seen anything like that in the running back room at Ohio State. And that is a room that's included Eddie George, J.K. Dobbins, Archie Griffin, Ezekiel Elliott. Now, that looked like Devin Hester or Ted Ginn running back a kick. Like how much it that looked like, like in reality, he was getting chased by a safety, but that looked like Ted Ginn getting separation on a punter. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. I mean, it was the burst was ridiculous it it kind of blew my mind and actually one guy who's kind of tearing it up for texas too i didn't even think about this as a hypothetical trade i guess i could throw it in now um would you trade uh what's his name b john robinson for uh any mm. we'll say uh mine williams Oof. guy who was he's a bad man ohio state he's a bad man uh, oh, man. I'm going to say no, just because I think that would that would create – that'd be another mouth to feed that that it just feels like that that could be a big issue for Ohio State. If you added a guy of that ability to this offense where you're trying to feed Olave, Wilson, Smith and Jigma, Rucker – Travion Henderson, and we haven't even included the other three receivers. I, I just don't know if I'd do it. Yeah, I, I, I guess I agree with you there. Also, I think it's more so the compliment. Like, I think Bijan Robinson is not as much of a bulldozer as Mayan Williams, so I think it's important to have that kind of like running style. Uh, Nate, for the receivers, I'm going to go A here. I don't really know how you go anything else. I mean, they were if they were open and C.J. Stroud delivered the ball, like Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson made the catch. And then not only did they make the catch, but then, I mean, they made, uh, you know, lemon, lemonade out of lemons. Uh, they were just killing uh, the Minnesota defense yards after catch and just making plays. It was so fun to watch. This group is elite. Um, I, I want to see more of Fleming. I want to see more of Harrison and Egbuka. 
Um, but when you've got a whole lava and Wilson, I mean, you can't really complain. I'm with you. This, this is an A. They looked, they looked awesome exactly as you and I both expected them to look. I think this room is by far the strength of this team. And I think, you know, the last two years, maybe even three years, the team in college football with the best wide receiver room has won the national title. Don't believe me, fact check me. Clemson in 2018, Justin Ross, T. Higgins. 2019, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. 2020, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, John Mechie. The Ohio State room is that level this year. And so, uh, yeah, I'm with you. If if they grade out as anything but an A this year, I'd probably be shocked. And I think those guys will get more of a get more run in. Um, I mean, I, maybe not this coming week against Oregon because Oregon's a pretty good team. It's you know only a fourteen point spread. But as we play the Tulsas and the Akron's of the world and and the Purdue's and Rutgers, I think then those guys might see some more time. Um, hypothetical trade here: the guy who had a really nice touchdown for Alabama and a former Ohio State Buckeye, Jamison Williams. Would you? I guess we're calling trade backs on this one, but. Nick Saban's calling you up, Nate, and saying, I'll trade you Jamison Williams, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. No way. I didn't, Smith and Jigba supplanted him in the offseason because of his blocking ability. And I know that may sound silly, um, but having a slot receiver that can pancake missing juice Williams back. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with you there. Um, again, I, I guess Jameson Williams is kind of buried in the depth chart for a reason. I did. I feel it feels weird rooting for anybody, you know, on the crimson tie, but I was actually rooting for him. Cause I, I mean, I know he transferred out of the program, but I sort of like understood his transfer. You know, it was a little bit like Joe Burrow. Like obviously he's going to want to transfer to get playing time. And I was happy to see him score a, a touchdown. That's that's fair. That's fair. It, uh, sometimes I think you got a better heart watching these young men than I do, Mike. I was – I don't know if I'd say I was rooting for them, but maybe that's just because I'm holding too much bitterness in my heart. Or put it this way, if Alabama was going to score a touchdown, I'd invite it to him as opposed to, like, John Meggie. That's fair. That's fair. I'm with you there. Uh, what tight ends – I mean, we can kind of group them in here. Jeremy Rucker, um, it's, it's so hard to <laughs> – Did they even play? It's hard to grade Ohio State tight ends because, like, Jeremy Rucker, it's, he's almost, like, old reliable. Like, he really – anytime you ask the Ohio State guys to make a catch, they do. It's just we don't involve them that much in the offense. So, I'm almost going to give this, like, an incomplete grade, if that makes any sense. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, that – you know, that they old reliable. Jeremy Rucker is always going to make plays if you throw him the ball in the red zone. Yeah, I, I mean – I'm kind of with you. It's like, uh, this, this is how I'll put it, Mike. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I'm going to grade the offensive line at an A as well. I thought they were awesome. Didn't give up a sack. 201 yards on the ground on just 25 carries. Um, this group looked really good. And the receivers were an A. And so tight ends do a little bit of both of those things. And so I'm going to go ahead and give the, the tight end room a, an A as well. I'm with you. I think Jeremy Ruckert, he's a guy who's probably only going to have 20 catches this year, 
at most, but I feel like four of them are going to come in really big situations that are needed. Um, so uh, I'm thankful for what he uh, did or does and still he did this past week. Um, and I did notice, I thought uh, Cade Stover looked okay when he was in there as well. And, and Brian Day has shown that he can use the tight ends. Maybe it's almost like uh, Bill Belichick kind of does it sometimes. Like he won't show all of his cards in regular season games. And Ryan Day, it's almost like he doesn't like using the tight end unless he has to. It's like his ace in the hole. And then when we played Clemson in the playoff game, you know, tight ends are responsible for three touchdowns, you know. So uh, it, we could see some of that going on. I, I don't really have any hypothetical trades for, for Jeremy Ruckert because I think tight end for tight end, I don't know if you'd rather have anyone else in the country. So I, I don't think there's any real point wasting time. Offensive line, we had some trouble with, uh, you know, the center, obviously – Harry Miller missed the game. That was kind of like a last minute call. And anytime that someone's missing on the offensive line center is usually the most important. So I, I thought maybe there would be some, especially with the young quarterback, there might be some hang up there, but I think overall the, the offensive line played pretty well. And, um, you know, I, I think actually one thing CJ Stroud almost didn't give them enough credit. I felt like CJ Stroud was kind of bailing on the pocket too early. Yeah. He, he didn't have enough confidence in offense. Of in his offensive lineman to really step up and make a throw in the pocket. So um, I just thought that was one observation that I had. But overall, I think the offensive line played well. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought for, you know, who knows when he found out that he was going to start. But I thought for a first career start on the road, hadn't been working with C.J. Stroud very much. I thought Luke Whipler performed admirably. Um, and, man, Paris Johnson Jr., he, he moved down to guard, and he is – He's going to be a tackle in the NFL. He's going to be a tackle next year, but he is blowing people up. Uh, a lot of fun to watch that young man play. So I'm, I'm with you. I go A's across the board for the offensive line. Let's go over to the defensive line. This was kind of interesting because the entire time, we're like, where is Jack Sawyer? He only had four snaps. Uh, Zach Harrison, 65 snaps. Tyreek had 48 snaps. Uh, to JTT at 13. That was kind of interesting. Um, we, we definitely saw a fair bit of rotation on the defensive end standpoint. And then John Pepdis had 28. What, what did you think about the defensive line? I'm assuming you wanted to see Jack Sawyer a little bit more. Yeah, I, I was expecting to see Jack Sawyer more as I've reflected on the game. I think it makes sense. Um, he came into school. I think he's already put on 20 or 30 pounds um, just with coach Mick Mariotti. But I, I think when you're a, a lighter weight defensive end and you're playing a team that runs the football like Minnesota, uh, you're going to struggle. And, and JTT came into camp, you know, he came to Ohio state 280 pounds. Um, and so I think it's going to be easier for a guy like that to, to play the, the run. So I think that probably had a factor in him playing more. I think we'll see the same this week against Oregon. Um, I, I'm going to give the, the defensive line, a B minus. I just, I felt like that there wasn't enough noise. Um, Zach Harrison had the big strip sack, which was awesome. He was getting pressure for sure. I thought guys like Antoine Jackson, Teron Vincent played okay. Haskell Garrett had the touchdown, but I, I think that I wanted to see more. Granted, Minnesota did a lot of of heavy packages with extra offensive linemen in there, a lot of wildcat formation. So I, 
I don't know if this is a perfect test for the defensive line, but that's the, I'm going to go B minus. Yeah, I don't have these numbers off the top of my head, but I, I know that they were more effective running the ball to the outside, like the B gap versus the A gap. So I feel like if you want to micrograde the defensive line, I think the defensive tackles were better than the defensive ends because the defensive ends did struggle a little bit stopping the run. But overall, um, yeah, I would, I would probably put them somewhere in that B plus A minus range. Um, I thought they did get a fair bit of pressure on, on Tanner Morgan. Uh, not what we're used to. And I think one point with Jack Sawyer that we have to keep in mind is Chase Young and Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa, who were all top three picks in the NFL draft. That's the ceiling for any defensive end that comes to Ohio State. None of those guys had played significant playing time until the end of their freshman year. People forget that, that Chase Young and, and both Bosa started coming on towards the end of the year, and then they really started to make an impact those last five or six games. So I think we should be a little patient with him. Very true. Very, very true point. What, what, do, you, what do you think about the linebacking play, Mike? Here, here's, for me, we're going to get into the, the worst units of the team. What did you think about the linebackers? Yeah, it was a little strange. I mean, Terhana Mitchell played, uh, I'm looking at this right now, 70 of 75 defensive snaps, 49 for Eichenberg, 41 for Gantt, 37 for Simon. Uh, so we were doing a little bit of that 4-2-5, uh, throwing an extra defensive back in there with Terhana Mitchell playing almost the entire game. And then you sort of rotated in that second spot. I didn't think they were horrible, but I think this is also kind of comes into what's your expectation. And it, none of them led the team in tackles, right? Like we didn't have a tough Borland situation where he was getting 14 tackles or, or anything like that. But I, I think that they sort of plugged the gaps well. And we were seeing our safeties kind of drop in the box, which I think is why Ronnie Hickman had so many tackles. But I don't remember any of the linebackers just absolutely getting embarrassed on a run, you know, and, and I, I don't, I didn't have any tough Borland flashbacks of him, like chasing uh, the Maryland running back down the sidelines hobbling. So I think uh, overall I'll give them like a B minus. I don't think they were horrible. I feel like you might have a little bit of a harsher grade on them. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go C minus. And I, I think it's just, this is Ohio state. Uh, this, this Ohio state, linebacking room has produced Chris Spielman, Andy Katzenmoyer, AJ Hawk, James Laurinaitis, Bobby Carpenter, Anthony Schlegel. Um, you know, you could Ryan Shazier, you could even throw in there Pete Werner uh, and, and Malik Harrison. And they just, uh, I just felt like there's a lot left to be desired from this unit. And, and I think maybe my biggest concern is just that I don't think there's a, a single guy, maybe I know Taraja Mitchell's the leader there, but I don't know if there's a single guy, you know, two years ago, the 2019 team, Malik Harrison was the guy in the linebacker room. You knew he was going to step up. He's going to play all the plays. He's going to make tackles. I don't know if this unit has that, at least not yet. And that, that was only reinforced for me by the fact that we played Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gant, Cody Simon, Tommy Eichenberg, uh, Steel Chambers played, so I, I don't know. I just I thought a lot left to be desired for the linebacker room. I actually thought that they were our weakest point 
Um, and I felt like there's oftentimes where they weren't in good position either. It, it kind of reminded me of that 2018 year. I feel like we had them up on the line of scrimmage a lot. Um, and so I, overall, I, was, I felt pretty disappointed by their performance. All right. Let's actually, well, I get, now I got some hypothetical trades for you. Uh, and I think these you might bite on. So I don't have any linebacker for linebacker trades because I feel like that's inherently an upgrade because the Ohio state linebackers <laughs> aren't very good. But uh, so first one, would you trade, we're going to give up Jack Sawyer. So we're going to give up a, a big prospect, <sighs> but we're going to get one of the best big 10 linebackers. He was third team all big 10 last year. He was the MVP of their bowl game and he had a pretty good game on Saturday as well, but he is a senior. So we'd only get one year out of him. So this is a little bit of like a play for now kind of a move. Jack Sanborn, would you trade Jack Sawyer for Jack Sanborn, the Wisconsin linebacker? Oh, I don't think I can do it, Mike. I, I've, I've fallen too in love with Jack Sawyer. Yeah, if if Sanborn was a sophomore, maybe I'd I'd be more inclined. I just don't think I could do it. Yeah, I agree. And also, I think that Jack Sanborn, like he might be again great in the Big Ten, but then when you we might get a tough Portland situation where he's lined up against a slot receiver and just getting dusted when we play uh, when we're thinking long term against the Alabamas and the Clemsons. So I, right. I I agree with you there. This next one would be really difficult to pass up on. Uh, I enjoyed watching Penn state for some reason. Like I, I, I guess I was, I mean, I was, I was in, in, in self-interested because I bet on them, but I was very impressed with their linebackers, Brandon Smith and Ellis Brooks. I thought they both played phenomenal against Wisconsin. They both, they both made some tremendous plays. So how about this? We're going to get both Penn state linebackers, Brandon Smith, oh. and Ellis Brooks, but we have to give up Chris Olave. Oh my word! <laughs> I mean, that we're uh, we're upgrading. We're basically turning the worst part of our defense into a strength, and we're giving up a best player in our deepest position group. You know, so this is like this is really like plugging a hole. But I, I, it, it's hard to give up a lot of it, though. You know. Oh man, Mike, this one's hard. This one's hard. I just well, said earlier, James Franklin's going to throw in Sean Clifford too if you want him. Uh, that may make me want the deal less. <laughs> um, I just said the wide receiver room, so it wins national titles. Oh, man. I'm going to say – I can't do it. I just can't do it. I like Chris Olave too dang much. Then they then they'd have Jahan Dotson and him. I don't I don't like that. Yeah, that I I, I agree with you here. It's really I'm too to loyal, Mike. Around. This is ridiculous. I haven't I've said no to like every darn trade. Uh, I'll get you with one next week, but I I agree with you here just because Chris Olave is awesome. And if you look at him statistically, he if he has like a season basically at expectation, he could conceivably leave Ohio State as the all time leader in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. So. We are potentially witnessing history here. I want that for him. He's so, he's just such a good, just such a quality player and and young man. Yeah, and that would be great if we could if he could leave with all those records and a national championship, and then he would also have like basically survived. 
he would have outlasted three Ohio State quarterbacks, which I think is, is kind of cool too. Um, they uh, let's yeah. So I'm going to give you some two more defensive back trades. Uh, we're going to give up Jack Sawyer again here. Another Penn State guy, Tariq Castro-Fields. He's a projected top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Uh, obviously, he would be leaving, so we would only get one year of him, but we would instantly have a lockdown corner, which we clearly do not have right now. Uh, could I swap out Jack Sawyer for Zach Harrison? Uh, hold on, let me ask James Franklin. Uh, no, James Franklin wants Jack Sawyer. <laughs> I can't do it. The, I, I think the issue is I don't know if they're wise. They're, they're wise declines of Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, with Tariq Castro Fields, he's very talented, and I I would actually I would do this one for the Jack Sanborn one for sure, just because I think cornerbacks are more important than linebackers in today's game, just because the receivers are so good. Um, but yeah, that that was the last hypothetical trade I had for you. What what's your grade for the defensive backs, and then we can kind of talk about uh, the college football like at large, I guess. I'm a, I'm. I'm going to go B for the, the defensive backs. I thought – so let me just paint this picture. I mean, uh, of the – I guess by our four two five standards, of the five starters in the defensive backfield, four of them had never started before and three were freshmen. Um, you know, uh, Lathan Ransom, redshirt freshman, I thought he played pretty well. Big hit late in the game. Not sure how it wasn't targeting, but I loved the hit. Uh, Ryan Watts redshirt freshman i thought denzel burke performed admirably i feel like you could see him gaining confidence as the game went on um and so and and then of course i thought josh proctor played really well i feel confident with him back there and then you know ronnie hickman led the team in tackles so um i'm gonna go b minus um my what i'm looking for with this unit is that we play the best players. I know Seven Banks and Cam Brown were both out with injury, but if Denzel Burke's the best guy in the room, will we ride him? You know, this is something that Nick Saban does down in Alabama all the time. He gets a freshman corner in there. He takes his lumps with him, but that guy, by the time, you know, of week eight, nine, ten of the season, he's playing with confidence and he's playing really, really well. Um, so I, I'm, I just want us to play – the best players. And I think, you know, we didn't see any Marcus Williamson, Lathan Ransom's taken over that job. So I hope we see the same from the outside corner position. Yeah. I do like the way that our defensive backs tackled. This kind of goes back to what I was saying before that um, Minnesota's longest play from their receivers was 22 yards. So we didn't see any situations where, uh, you know, our cornerbacks and safeties were failing to make open field tackles. So I really appreciated that. Um, we did have uh, a force fumble by them. We did have an interception that didn't count. So I, if we're grading on a curve here, I was pretty satisfied. I'll give them a B, maybe B plus, um, nothing else to really say. Nate, random point about the secondary. Did you see Jordan Fuller in his second year after being a sixth round pick was named captain of the Rams defense? Dude, it, it, that, that guy continues to impress me and amaze me. 
Uh, like you said, six-round pick. He had a really good rookie year. He may have been like – I don't know if the NFL does an all-rookie team, but if they do, I think he probably would have been on it. I think he made um, the Pro Bowl. He, okay, so there you go. Um, and he was obviously a big-time leader at Ohio State. So I, I love that. It's just another – I, sometimes I don't understand it because I feel like Ohio State has all these defensive players that are killing it in the NFL, um, and our defenses have never been outstanding, I guess, outside of, like, the 2019 season, maybe the, the end of the 2014 season. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, We haven't exactly been the sum is greater than the, you know, individual parts. Um, all right, right, let's talk about – the some of the other big games around college football. I think we could probably go with the low hanging fruit, which is the most important one. Uh, your wish came true. Georgia did beat Clemson, and I would say that. I mean, both teams just looked brutal on offense. I don't care, dude. Yeah, I don't care how good people talk of those defenses. Unless you're playing the 85 Bears, you should muster more than six points uh, from both teams on offense because basically the defense outscored both teams' offenses as they the only touchdown in this game was a pick six. I yeah, I mean goodness goodness gracious, this I was excited for this game for weeks if not months, and I felt like it it really kind of underdelivered. I mean JT Daniels 22 completions for 135 yards. Um, Clemson rushed for two yards, 23 carries for two yards. Um, I, Clemson's offensive line is a, a train wreck disaster. Uh, we saw that against Ohio State in the um, Sugar Bowl last season, and it, they got exposed again by uh, four-man fronts routinely. I mean, Georgia wasn't sending blitzes or anything, and I, that's going to be the key to beating – Clemson this year is, you know, getting pressure on D- DJU with, while being able to drop seven back. And they were able to do that very successfully. Um, I thought this game was a complete and total letdown. The, the interesting thing to watch is, you know, Georgia's schedule sets up okay, honestly. I'm looking at it right now. Potential losses – at Auburn against Florida in a neutral site, probably the only places in the regular season they could go down than maybe in the SEC championship, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, say considerably that Georgia Bama both run the table to the SEC title. They're both in. Ohio State runs the table there, and Oklahoma runs the table there. And um, there's no way Clemson can get back in. And, and I'm not convinced they don't slip up. You know, Florida State looked good last night. Could they lose there? Could they lose to Boston College or or to uh, NC State's got a decent team? I know these are all long shots, um, but there is very little on that Clemson schedule to build on for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I actually think Clemson does not control their own destiny because if Ohio State takes care of business in the Big Ten, let's say Oklahoma takes care of business in the big 12, which might be a giant question mark if they, after they almost lost to Tulane, but still let's just assume that, right? Like, uh, you know, the, basically what I'm saying is that the big 10 and the big 12 are better conferences than the ACC. So I think the winner of that conference, if they have one loss or zero losses is going to get the benefit of the doubt, obviously sec winner, whether it's Alabama or Georgia is going to get that third spot. 
And then if it becomes a matter of, okay, who gets the fourth spot, Georgia or Clemson, they're going to give it to Georgia because of the heads up, you know, and Clemson right. has, has no opportunity to get any signature wins because right now the 11 remaining teams on their schedule are all unranked, you know, so th- they can only go down in that sense because then they're playing games that they're favored. They should win, but they're not going to get any credit for these wins because they're, they're bad teams, you know? So I think the ACC, being poor might might finally come back to to bite them and if they looked more competent in this game i think people would give them more of the benefit of the doubt but you know dju just looks so inept uh that and their offensive line looks so terrible and their running backs you know not having Etienne just look bad so i think in general because they look so awful it's going to be really really hard uh for for clemson to find their way back in unless other teams start losing Right, and I, I don't think Georgia has a recipe to win a national title either. They're just not going to be good enough offensively to do that. Man, what a what a w- terrible weekend for the ACC. North Carolina top ten team loses to Virginia Tech. You got Miami, who loses forty four to thirteen to Alabama. But really, I mean, that game could have been sixty five to nothing. Miami shell of itself. Typical. Alabama plays a decent, over overrated, you know, top twenty-five team that they just absolutely destroy. Clemson looks bad against Georgia. Um, who else do we have here? Uh, Florida State loses to Notre Dame. Um, just overall, not a good weekend for the ACC. Um, there, the, the shot at the playoff for that conference may have already diminished after a weekend. Um, so an absolute disaster, Mike, when you look at the, the weekend as a whole, which game did you say, man, that was the most fun for me to watch? Oh, I mean, like Wisconsin and Penn state made my eyes bleed, especially that first half. Uh, (laughs) That was terrible. The second half was better. You know, granted, they did start putting up some points on the board and it got a little entertaining. Um, It wasn't like that fun of a weekend in terms of games. I didn't watch the UCLA-LSU game that closely just because um, I I guess I was preoccupied with another game at that point. I forgot what else was on, to be totally honest. Um, I kind of enjoyed seeing Indiana getting their doors blown off, but it wasn't necessarily like an exciting game. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of tough to say. I guess I would go with the, the game last night with Florida State and Notre Dame just because it was an entertaining finish. Uh, it, it was cool. It was a cool atmosphere. Uh, I wanted Florida State to win, but oh well. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Probably that one, right? Like, I don't. It's it, something. That, that, yeah, yeah. I think I'm with you. For as, as hyped as this weekend was, um, yeah, I thought some of the big games under delivered a little bit. Which, you know, probably to be expected when you've got these high-octane teams coming up, matching up against each other in week one. Play is always a little sloppy. I mean, the the Louisiana-Texas game wasn't what I hoped it would be. I I think I'm with you. Um, The Notre Dame-Florida State game was really, really good. What a story for Mackenzie Milton to come back and play. I really enjoyed that. So I'm going to stick with you. And say that was the the premier game of the weekend. 
All right, so let's do our top four. This is actually, we can even do like top six. So we'll do our, our four that would be in the playoff. I mean, it's ridiculous to say, you know, if they were in the playoff starting now, but uh, let's just say that. <laughs> so give me your top four and then your next two out. And just full disclosure, I'm going purely based on what I've seen. I'm not going off of preseason expectations or what I think that the team will be moving forward. Okay, so just off of week one, I mean, you can I'm going to go Alabama. My criteria. Okay. I'm going to go Alabama one, um, significantly in front. I'm going to go Alabama one. I'm going to put Georgia number two, strictly because of their win. I'm going to put Ohio State number three. Um, I'm going to put Oklahoma number four. I'm going to put. Hmm. I'm going to put Iowa number five, and I'll slide – let's see. I'll slide UCLA at six. All right. I have – so I actually have an interesting – I have UCLA at four. I didn't think you were going to get to them, so that was kind of the – I was was happy about that one. I mean – Stole your thunder. Stole my thunder. It's all right. They they blew out – LSU, I, they, they limited LSU to like less than 20 rushing yards, which is very impressive. They dominated the line of scrimmage against an SEC team, and they also blew out Hawaii, which I know not a huge deal, but still, they're 2-0. and They have two nice wins. I have them four. I'm going to put Georgia three just because, yeah, they beat Clemson, but they look so limited on offense. If, if I got anything from them on offense, I would have put them at two ahead of Ohio State. But I just I don't buy it. You know, every it was like JT Daniels is like check down Charlie. He, everything was like five yards in the long scrimmage and shorter. I'll go Ohio State too because of that offensive firepower. Minnesota, uh, you know, not an easy game to win, and Ohio State really did suffocate them in the second half. Alabama won. They looked absolutely fantastic. And then five and six, I'll go Iowa five, just like you did. I thought. That win against Indiana was very impressive. I think Iowa's won six straight Big Ten games, if I'm not mistaken. So they could potentially be a team to watch out for coming out of the West. And um, Penn State's defense looked fantastic against Wisconsin. Wisconsin's not supposed to have a completely inept offense. Uh, I thought Penn State made some really critical plays. Their defense showed a lot of heart. So I put them six, uh, notably dropping off Oklahoma. I thought, you know, you can't give up 35 points to Tulane and almost lose and be in the top six for me. And then also another team leaving out, um, Iowa State looked pretty bad against Northern Iowa. I mean, this is kind of like the Saturday was just filled with top 10 teams not looking good. Dude, what about Coastal Carolina? I know, you know, them and Cincinnati. Where would you put them? <laughs> you know, that's actually a good question. Cincinnati's eight right now is if – if Iowa State, like, let's say Iowa State loses to Iowa, Texas A&M loses a couple time, more times, does Clemson lose, like, Georgia loses a couple times, like, is Cincinnati going to get in over, like, a two-loss SEC team that didn't win their conference? I think they have the best shot we've ever seen. They play Notre Dame this year. They play Indiana this year. Granted, that, that Indiana game might not be as great as it once was. Um. So I think starting eight with those two games and then, you know, UCF should be good this year. There's potential, but I think they would need a ton of help. I think all of the the top teams would probably need at least a loss, maybe two. 
Okay. That's fair. that's just. I mean, when when it comes down to it, Mike, the the college football playoffs trying to make money, um, and Cincinnati. <laughs> hate to break it to you, Bearcat fans, but most of you Bearcat fans probably like the Buckeyes just as much as the Bearcats, anyways. Um, and the Buckeyes are gonna be... have you know the highest TV ratings. Well, are you like – you're in an interesting position being that you're living in southern Ohio. So sort of like when Joe Burrow was having his success, you're living in Athens, so you kind of got sick of hearing about it. Are you sick of hearing about Cincinnati deserves a shot, or would you like Luke Fickle and to, to you know, run the table, go 13-0 and get a chance? I'll be completely honest with you. I don't think a group of five should ever be considered – for the playoff, and I was back in in 2008-2009. I thought it was ridiculous that t- people thought they should play for the national title. Sure, could they could go compete with a, a you know an LSU or an Alabama for a night in in January? Maybe, probably not, but maybe. But of course they could. They've they they have five weeks off. Um, but for them to play an SEC schedule or Big Ten schedule, I just I don't see it. And so I'm I'm same belief now. Um, I just I, you know sure that they're playing Notre Dame and Indiana this year, but they're also playing Tulsa and Tulane and Houston and Navy and SMU and all these you know schools that that Northwestern would beat by twenty points. Yeah, it'll just be interesting. Like, if they went up against Clemson and they're essentially – like, I don't think that their strength of schedule is going to be much worse than Clemson, right? So what if the discussion becomes Clemson with one loss? Yeah, granted, okay, they won the ACC, but they have, like, the 57th-ranked strength of schedule versus undefeated Cincinnati with the 65th, you know, strength of schedule. Like, that's not that big of a difference, and I think – that's what it could come down to. So at that point, do you pick the undefeated team or do you pick the team with one loss with a national brand? It'll, it'll definitely be an interesting conversation. I'm definitely rooting for Cincinnati just to make it interesting. Um, Cause it's sort of like, you know, you're rooting for, for drama, right? Uh, yeah. I'm a group of five hater till probably till the day that I die outside of coastal Carolina. I'm all in on the chance <laughs> Love Grayson McCall and that mullet that he's got flying. Um, go Chanticleers. Nate, you're also a Clemson, Alabama, and SEC hater, though. So if, if you're talking about that <laughs> between, you know, you're splitting hairs a little bit there. It's question is, like, would you rather a group of five? Like, how great would it be to see Davo Sweeney complain about missing out to a group of five team? Ooh, that would be really good. That, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe I need to watch Cincinnati. Okay, best case scenario, Cincinnati gets in over Clemson. Dabo Sweeney's devastated. Cincinnati plays Ohio State, and Ohio State 60 pieces them. Yeah. That would be like, oh, man. And then we could rest our starters, and then we'll have a healthy team for the national championship, only be be beaten by Bama by 40 again. It'll be great. <laughs> It'd be perfect. Uh, Mike, we have a couple questions from our listeners. Let's go. Um, let, let me get to them here. Um, the first one comes from Noah. He wants to know, 
Uh, what are your thoughts on super conferences? Are they good for the students, league, viewers? Do we still need to have playoff expansion? No, they're horrible. I, I, don't, I don't mean to be the old guy that's like, get off my lawn, or the college football analogy would be like the old guy that's like, I don't want Michigan and Ohio State to be anything but 12 o'clock. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, <laughs> I think there's something to be said about, you know, the con- I feel like the conferences are very geographically, uh, you know, they make sense, right? Like the, and you kind of know what you're going to get. And I, I think that's kind of the beauty of college football. If you just turn into these super conferences, it, it's just going to be, I don't know. I, I don't like it. I think it's going to really, really hurt the mid tier, like the Iowa's. I think it's going to hurt because they're not going to get like the big 10 revenue. Right. Uh, and I think it's, I, I think that that sort of would hurt the competitive advantage. And then you would just see all the recruits, you know, flocking to the super conference. It's the same argument in, in uh, European football, how they're arguing for like a super league with Liverpool and Real Madrid and PSG. And it's like, you have that already. You mm-hmm. have the champion league. You don't need it. You have the college football playoff. You don't need, you know, 12 regular season games because it just dilutes the product. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I don't actually like the super conferences either because look at the SEC. They're about to go to 16 teams because of, of, pre-existing rivalries and matchups a a team like texas is going to play a team like florida like once every nine years at florida like at at what point are you even in a conference with another team when you you know ohio state plays oregon about once every 10 years like so i i just i think 16 is just too many and and i also think that the I, I just I don't like how there's schools in the SEC specifically who that are riding the coattails of these dominant brands um, and and crowning themselves king. You know, Vanderbilt just lost to East Tennessee State by 20 at home. Like, don't tell me you're in the mighty SEC. You suck. That's the truth. Um, and so I. I just, I just hate all of that, and so I, I am with you. I do not want the super conferences to work out. In fact, I wish all these conferences would just go back to the sizes that they originally were. The only part of expansion that's been good is when conferences added conference championships. Uh, but other than that, I'm with you. Um, in terms of playoff expansion, I think that if the super conferences become a thing, no way. Do we want playoff expansion? That would be very bad because the SEC would get probably seven teams in every year. Um, and so I don't want that at all. And and I think that we should just the, – the playoff should expand at most to six. You know, last year Alabama blew the doors off number four Notre Dame. The year before – LSU, I mean, LSU put up, what, like 70 on Oklahoma. Jamar Chase had, like, 15 touchdowns receiving. Like, one versus four typically aren't even in the same stratosphere. I just don't know why we'd expand. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, next question. Sorry, I got, I, I'm feeling fired up here at the end of this, Mike. Um, <laughs> does Ohio State still make it to the playoffs with a loss to Oregon, Penn State, or Indiana. So I think uh, yeah, each of those scenarios, do they still make it? 
Uh, they would make it as long as they win the Big Ten, right? So if they lost to Penn State and then sort of like what happened um, the year that they had – no, that yeah, they only had one loss that year. When their one loss was to Penn, St- Penn State um, – well, I guess they did make it to the playoff that year, so I shouldn't use that as an example. But basically what I'm trying to say is that if Penn State makes the Big Ten championship instead of Ohio State, then I don't think Ohio State makes it. But as I think Ohio State can afford to stumble once. Um, if it's Oregon and then they run the table in the conference, you know, everyone will say they won a major conference. They went undefeated in the major conference. They're Ohio State. Let them in. I, I don't think there'll be any discussion, really. Yeah, I, I think that's the right answer as well. I think of those games where teams stand right now, the best possible loss is to Oregon. Um, because they're outside of the conference. The worst possible loss is to Indiana because it looks like they're not going to be a great team. Yeah, and also on one point, like the big – you mentioned that the ACC had a bad weekend. The Big Ten had a pretty good weekend. You know, Michigan looked competent, yeah. albeit against Western Michigan. Uh, Maryland beat West Virginia as an underdog. That was kind of impressive. Nebraska won a game, so pat on the back. For <laughs> and then Rutgers Michigan won. State looks competent. Rutgers put up, uh, you know, I don't know how that was possible, but I think Rutgers put up 50 for the first time in the history of the program. Uh, I don't 60 even know. 60 burger, had, baby. I don't know if they had 50 points all of last year combined. Um, and then Michigan State looked good too. So our schedule got, and Penn State beat, I mean, other than if you look at the teams are playing this year, other than Illinois or Indiana, who got housed by Iowa, all the teams on our schedule. Uh, I guess you could say Oregon too didn't look that great against Fresno State, but all the other teams in our schedule uh, look better, you know. So I think that our schedule is is tougher than we realized. Hey, Rutgers had they put up a sixty burger, and and truthfully, I don't even know how because their leading passer was fifteen of twenty seven for one hundred and thirty eight yards and one touchdown, and their leading rusher had 15 carries for 48 yards and a touchdown, but somehow they still hung 60. <laughs> they had a pick six. And, uh, defense wins championships, Greg Shiano. Maybe a special teams touchdown or something. Uh, oh, I, some I, good I, punt returns. They probably got some short fields. I couldn't tell you, but good for the Scarlet Knights. Uh, I'm very proud of them. Hey, let's let's <laughs> briefly talk about or this game against Oregon. Similar – I guess, mood going into it. I mean, we're 14 point favorites, kind of deja vu. We were 14 point favorite favorites against Minnesota. Uh, the big news, I guess, is that Oregon's defensive end, who's a top five NFL pick next year, sure fire, uh, which is Kayvon Thibodeau, Thibodeau, however you pronounce it. He uh, left the game against Fresno state early. He left, he walked off with a walking boot. So he has some kind of ankle sprain. If he does play, he's probably not going to be at a hundred percent. So I think huge flow for them. We seem to be healthy. We have an extra two days rest. Uh, I I'm not personally super worried about this game. Maybe I'm being overconfident. What are your initial thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, Oregon did not look very impressive this past weekend against Fresno State. Um, I think that they have two really good running backs. I think they have a solid defense. It's not just um, Thibodeau, but they have uh, Justin Flo and Noah Sewell that play uh, linebacker. They're both highly rated recruits, five-star guys. Um, so they have talent, but the quarterback is, is a huge issue. Anthony Brown 
Um, he can run the ball and could be a problem there, but he is not a very competent thrower of the football. Um, and then on top of that, you know, um, the whole Kayvon Thibodeau, Thibodeau it presents a real issue. Um, and so I, I feel pretty good about the weekend. Even if Thibodeau plays, the way I see it is just what impact is he going to be able to have with a, a somewhat bum ankle? Yeah. Um, that's the thing. It's like, even if he does play, I guess if, if we just think about like Oregon's offense versus our defense, and, and this is kind of a theory that I, that I was thinking about when we were playing Minnesota, when Ohio state does not have a, uh, a terrible weakness. Like I would argue in 2018, we had a terrible weakness uh, tackling, right. Which is, I think why we uh, lost that game to Purdue. So I don't think that this team has a terrible weakness. Does that mean we can be beat? Of course, but I don't think we have a glaring weakness. And if that's the case, like I think we can only be beat by teams that can throw the ball and run the ball on offense and play good defense. And I don't think that, I think Oregon maybe checks one of those three boxes. I think Oregon, maybe that you could argue they could run the ball. Anthony Brown, this is his fifth year being a quarterback. He's a fifth year senior. He played last year briefly for Oregon. Before that, he was at Boston College. He's never shown that he could really throw the ball consistently. Um, he's never had a year over 60% passing at Boston College uh, and, and just hasn't been too much of a threat. And then running, it, it, he's not like the you know old Oregon quarterbacks that were going to kill you with their – you know Dennis Dixon that are going to kill you with, his, with your legs. So I, I just feel like Oregon might be a little too one-dimensional. I don't think they'll be able to throw the ball a lot on us. And defensively, I question their ability to, to stop us. Dennis Dixon, that's a callback. Yeah, or what's his name? Uh, Missoula, Jeremiah Missoula? Jeremy Missoula. Jeremiah Masoli before he made the transfer to uh, Ole Miss, I believe. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say Marcus Mariota, but I think uh, I, Marcus Mariota was actually more of a passer than – I mean, early on, yeah. Mariota could run, but he, he developed into more of a passer. I mean, Anthony Brown is like nowhere in the ballpark of any of those guys. Dennis Dixon made me fall in love with Oregon. He he was a baller, man. When they did the Statue of Liberty play to beat Michigan in the big house? Oh, heck yeah. I remember watching that game, 2007 or 8. That was that was prime time. Jonathan Stewart in the backfield. Oh. Yeah, they were loaded. That was that was sweet. That was sweet. Okay, Mike, let me let me ask you, what is your prediction for this Saturday? Do the Buckeyes get it done? First home game, first game in front of fans and, you know, insert uh, hundreds of days here. Um, how do the Buckeyes look this Saturday? Uh, the game is at 12 o'clock, right? Is that because Fox has rights to it? Yes, it is. <laughs> Fox wanted to put it in that big noon slot, which is tough for Oregon. That's 9 a.m. local. That's a good point. So it's good from that point of view. I think, you know, the question is like, will the shoe be rocking? It probably would be rocking more so if it was a primetime game. But I, I think just because of the situation and because they ha there haven't been fans in a long time, I think Oregon might be beat before they even walk onto the field, like mentally. Um, we also had, again, two extra days to rest. Their anchor of their defense is out. They just seem to have a lot of things fighting against them. I'll say 38 to 20 uh, we win, and that would also mean by default we cover the spread. And I think C.J. Stroud will look 
just, I, I think Stroud will see minor improvements from the Minnesota game. I heard something interesting, Mike, that someone said Ohio State's going to score 40 just by showing up. And I'm going to I'm going to take that philosophy and run. And I'm going to say that Ohio State gets the win and they do put up uh, 40 again. I'm going to say they win by a final score of 49 to 28. I do look for Oregon to try and slow the Buckeyes down by controlling clock. I think that's going to be the key. That's going to be what a lot of teams try to do this year, you know, try and control clock, keep the Ohio State defense on the field for most of the game and force Ohio State's offense to score quickly. Um, but if you watched Alabama last year, <laughs> that wasn't a huge issue. That's interesting you say that. And they made a point, I think it was Chris Fowler that made a point of that, um, that Georgia was trying to run tempo because that's sort of where Clemson's defense is uncomfortable, but it didn't really work. And the reason is because Georgia just isn't that team, right? Like, you know, and I think Minnesota, they were kind of eating the clock away at us a little bit in the first half, but that is Minnesota's identity. Oregon's identity is is not to slow it down and play like Wisconsin. They are still they still have remnants of the Chip Kelly up tempo, no huddle, you know, run the spread kind of kind of team. So I, I think that for them to play out of character would would further suit our 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 strengths, I guess. Yeah, I think that's I think that's well put. So anyway, that that does it for us. We, we uh, this is a good a little bit over an hour that we got in here, and we'll be back next week to talk about hopefully an Ohio State victory over Oregon. If you have any questions for us, please tweet us at Nuts for Bucks Pod. Um, we'll we'll get to the, we'll circle back to them next time, and we'll be giving you a great great in depth preview of the following week's game against Tulsa. The Golden Hurricanes coming to to Ohio Stadium. Not that preview won't be as scintillating though as the Akron Zips the week after. <laughs>